Dear Christian friends, the Avengers of Marvel Comics, they have been making quite a showing over the years in movie theaters, in online streaming, and even in printed materials. And they've done that ever since that first comic book back in 1963. Who was alive back in 1963 here? Yeah, a few hands. That's good. Well, let's see what happens to one of the characters, Thor. You know about Thor, right? Let's see what happens when he's in this little small-town breakfast diner. How'd you get inside that cloud? Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! Sorry, Izzy, little accident. What was that? It was delicious. I want another. Well, you could have just said so. I just did. No, I mean, ask nicely. I meant no disrespect. All right, well, no more smashing. Deal? I have my wood. Good. He says, you have my word. And she says, good. You have my word. It's easy to become really skeptical when someone says that to us, when they give us their word, right? Why is that? Well, we live in a world of broken promises and empty vows. Pledges are made only to be forgotten. Assurances are given only to be ignored. Words can be spoken with great fanfare, like I always love you. We're BFFL, best friends for life. You can count on me till death do us part. The words can be like the autumn leaves in a strong November wind. That's why we're a bit skeptical when someone says to us, you have my word. Well, it's different, though, when God speaks. In the beginning, Genesis says God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. So what does God do? God speaks. God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks his word, it's not merely talking about something. It does what he says. We have his words. What a powerful word it is. Consider the verses that proclaim the power of God's words. First of all, in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And then in chapter 55, God says, My word will not return to me empty. It was God's word that called Abraham from Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. He's the one who spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He gave manna and quail through his words in the wilderness. He's the one who thundered from Sinai, and he also spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. God's word even made dry bones come to life, and there's this vast army that's standing there now. Just ask Elijah. God said it. That settles it. Faith believes it. We have his word. We have God's word. And God's word is more than an element of speech or perhaps an ink mark, a sound, an idea. 
It's all-powerful. It's creative. The one who said, let there be light, that's the same word that became flesh. And that's what God had John write in that gospel today. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Now John could have written that Jesus, the word, became a body or the word became a man. He might have said that the word became a person or the word became a human being. Instead, John writes, the word became flesh. And when that term is connected to an idea of a god, sophisticated Greeks and Romans that were there in the days of John, they recoiled hearing or seeing that word flesh because flesh to them meant that it was doomed to be destroyed. What mattered most to them was our spirit. Flesh was worth nothing. And they feared that no God in his right mind would ever deal with anything as degrading as flesh. But that's exactly what our God did. The Word, the Son of God and God the Son, he became flesh. We have his Word. The Word became flesh like no other ordinary baby who was cradled in a mother's arms. Jesus, who's in Mary's arms, he was the same one who saw the first ray of sunlight during that time of creation. He was there when the first crash of waves happened as the seas were gathered together. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Did you catch that? The Word was God. Now, if you've ever taken my Greek lesson that I give in a classroom here for adults and even our, our students, you would know that when the Greeks read that opening verse of John, they would say these words, Kaitheos en hologos, which literally means, and God was the Word. And that makes plain the divinity of Christ. It's evident there. It's contrary to the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses. They say that the Word was a God. Not God. The word was a God. No. God was the word is how it was written. And the word was God. The same God that said, let there be light, became flesh in the body of a Jewish peasant girl named Mary. And Mary and Joseph, we know that they had no savings that they could just use to get a hotel room. There was no connections that they had with the right kinds of people there in Bethlehem. Jesus, the maker of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, he was born into a family that was too poor to secure a bed for a pregnant mother. From the Gospel of Luke, we know that there was no room for them in the inn. Look, there in Bethlehem, the Word became flesh. The Word, though, it didn't change into flesh. It didn't morph into flesh. It didn't transform into flesh. That's not what John writes. If the words changed or morphed or transformed into flesh were used, then he would no longer be God. But remaining what he was, Jesus Christ became what we are. Remaining what he was, God. 
Christ became what we are, and that's flesh. John drives this point home when he writes about Jesus on trial before Pilate. Pilate has Jesus' flesh torn as the soldiers flog him. As Jesus is dressed in purple and crowned with a thorn type of crown. He brings Jesus before the crowd. And what does he say to them? He says, behold the man. Here is the man. Flesh and blood. A beaten body. And that's God who we're talking about here. The God who is dismissed. He's belittled and he's left for dead. But not for long. Isaiah says that God's word endures forever and it accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. It doesn't return to him empty, as we saw earlier. And we know that that's the same word that defeats the darkness. God's word defeats even death. Remember John? He outruns Peter to the tomb. He looks in and he believes. Jesus says, Mary. And she recognizes him and responds, saying, Rabboni, teacher. The Emmaus disciples, they recognize the risen Christ as he breaks bread with them. And when he sees the Savior's flesh that's marked with scars, what does Thomas exclaim? He says, my Lord and my God. The grave is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Death is dead. Funeral eulogies often include phrases like, well, she'll always live in my heart, or I'll remember him forever. The disciples, they didn't say that. The disciples never said that. That's because they saw Jesus in the flesh. Flesh that was marked with scars. And we have God's living word. Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's your darkness? today? Is it a missed opportunity that you had? A flunked exam? Did your marriage go south? Did your spouse die? Did your business that you own just crumble and go under? Did you make a bad decision in some things? What's the darkness that won't go away for you? What have you done that you feel doomed forever by the darkness. Well, Jesus is the solution for every kind of darkness. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the solution for every kind of darkness. In John 8, verse 12, the Savior says, I am the light of the world, and whoever walks in darkness will have the light of life. John 8, verse 12, includes one of the most wonderful pronouns in the Bible. After all, who isn't a whoever? When we feel as though God's light isn't for us, we have God's word for whoever. Whoever. You know, you can smell a beautiful fragrance, perhaps, in your kitchen coming out of there, and it's your favorite Christmas pie. Let's call it a cherry pie. And you've learned to hold your fork until the cook says, green light, right? And you ask, who's it for? 
Now, the cook might break your heart and say, well, it's for someone at church. Stay away from it. Or they say, it's for a friend. Don't touch it. Or the cook might say, it's for whoever. Well, and since you qualify as a whoever, you dig in. Whoever's are welcome. Whoever also means whenever. It's never too late to live in the light that the Lord gives us, that light of God's love. Whoever also means however. However broken you are, however messed up you may be, God loves you. And whoever also means whenever. Whenever you're in a pit, in a bind, in a pit, perhaps in a hole, wherever you are, you're never too far away from God's wonderful love. We lose so much, don't we? We lose jobs and those opportunities. We lose friendships and love, and we lose hopes and dreams. We lose so much in life, but we will never, ever lose our place on God's whoever list. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever walks in darkness will have the light of life. And that's just talking about life here. But mostly, that is eternal life. That's the ultimate life he means. What does that all mean for us? Well, that we know there's no shame that's too deep. There's no hour that's too late. There's no place that's too far away. However, whenever, wherever, whoever. And that includes us. It includes us forever. Let there be light. And there was light. That's what God said in the beginning. And the light that shone out from the manger, when Jesus came, that shines on us today. We have God's word. And because of that, I can say Merry Christmas to you all. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.